If you are not sure that the vineyard has a liturgy, we talked about that in last year's seminar, so check out that talk if you're wondering why on earth are we using an old-fashioned word like that. But we do have a liturgy. We have a way of doing our worship, and a lot of our churches look very similar in our worship. Um, so we talked about that last year. Last year we broke it up into story, songs, and spaces, but we didn't really dig too deeply into that last portion, the spaces. So we're going to spend a little bit more time on that one today. Um, in the story we talked about, so this is just a mini recap, we talked about where we came from in the vineyard, um, our values, <clears throat> and then when we talked about songs, we talked about how to construct a set list, how do we choose our songs, and then the big hot potato of should we sing vineyard songs. Um, and we, we all managed to still stay friends after that conversation, and some of you have even come back, so I take that as a good sign. I've also been hearing stories of, of churches doing more vineyard songs in their services than before. Anyone, if that's true for you, would you put your hand up? Yeah, a couple of you? Yeah, great. That's really encouraging. And if you're wondering why I'm saying any of that, again, all of that is in the recording from last year. It's not that we're saying the vineyard is the only way of doing things, but the vineyard is our tribe. Um, so spaces, leaving room for the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, some of the questions that we asked last time were things like, is production becoming more important than presence? Another question that we talked about, is worship still about participation or is it a spectator sport? We talked about, are we in danger of worshiping worship or worshiping the experience of worship? We talked about, are we leaving space for the Holy Spirit to interrupt our liturgy? Um, and so we're going to jump in today and focus in a little bit more on this conversation point of spaces and what is that all about. But in order to sort of maybe wake us up from the post-lunch um, feeling, and I'm feeling a bit groggy myself. I was up at 5 this morning and have had too much coffee and really shouldn't have another one, but feel that feeling right now of really harmony. You need another coffee, but no, I'm going to resist. And maybe if you guys um, jump in here and participate a little bit, it will help me to wake up too. Um, but I would love for us to just take a moment and um, get up. Those of you with notebooks, well done. Congratulations. If I had a prize, I would give it to you. Um, if you have a phone or something, write down what is your definition of worship? Ideally, this would be like a sentence or two. This is not, you know, your thesis and 15,000-page um, word version of it. This is the, the succinct one or two-liner. So, some of you that are brave, shout out. What, 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 what is worship? What do you think it is? Honoring God for who he is. That's great. Wonderful. Could you guys hear that one? Spending time intentionally adoring God. Very good. What else? Glorifying God in everything we do. Wonderful. Response to God's love. Excellent. Nice. It's great. Nice. The face of God. Beautiful. expression of their heart. Brilliant. You guys are doing great. Participating in all. One or two more. Anyone got something that's different than that? 
Nice. Very good. Can you give us the Latin version of that, too? No. <laughs> we would be so much more impressed. We're already impressed. And anyone else? Great. I'm noticing that none of you said something like, um, worship is a six-piece band on a platform playing top CCLI numbers at deafening decibel levels. None of that, nothing, nothing like that. There's not even any mention of bands. None of you said anything about bands or stages or platforms. Did any of you even say any, anything that was overtly about music? No, very interesting. And yet, how many of you here are musicians in some capacity? Wonderful, most of the room. Okay, so a related question now. What is the worship that God is seeking? In spirit and in truth. Fire out some more. Pardon? An upright heart. Very good. Broken and contrite spirit. Excellent. Surrender. Justice. Humility. Honesty and authenticity. Sacrifice. Ouch. Devotion. These are such good words. Yes, celebration. Heart's response to his love. Oh. Say that again. Wow, that's good. And obedience. It's a word that we all love. This is really good. Again, no one is saying really, really Awesome guitar riff. No. Hmm, nothing like that. Interesting, isn't it? So I find it overwhelming in this season, probably more so than when I first started leading worship about 20 years ago. I feel like the landscape has really changed and that we are so overwhelmed with stuff um, and by stuff, I mean songs, resources, books, conferences, um, YouTube videos. There's just so much stuff coming at me all the time as a worship leader. And sometimes I just feel completely overwhelmed, like I, I can't take it all in. Um, does anyone ever feel that way? Yeah. It's really overwhelming sometimes. Being a worship leader today is complicated and confusing. It's also a blessing and a privilege. But I think it's gotten more complicated than, again, 20 years ago when I started leading. There are so many mixed messages at the moment about what worship is because all the stuff that you have just said <laughs> and then all the stuff that we spend our time doing and thinking about and watching on YouTube, sometimes it feels like, which one is it? Is it the skinny jeans or is it the obedience to Jesus? I get confused sometimes. I'm like, what is happening here? I don't, I don't know what worship is anymore. And I am embarrassed because I have spent too much time worrying about whether my worship is cool enough, whether other people think it's good enough, whether the blokes can identify with me as a female worship leader, um, all those things, I have spent way too much time worrying about those 
things instead of contemplating what is the worship that God is seeking and what is worship. What pleases you, God? Not what pleases the people, although of course we want to serve our people. So I'm not saying that we don't. I'm not saying that we should um, just abandon that as, as a priority. We shouldn't. But do you know what I'm saying? It feels like we're really pulled so strongly in a direction. Um, and I'm just imagining that if I feel that way, and I've been leading worship for 20 years, and um, I have this title of director's worship. I've been a worship pastor. I'm a pastor. Um, I've gone to Bible college. If I feel that way, if I have like gone through all these training things to help me think properly about these things, um, and I still feel that tension, then probably a lot of you guys do too. So in my contemplation about what is worship and what is actually the worship that God is seeking, I have been drawn to the story of Samuel. And I could talk to you about this story for hours and hours. Um, I am so enamored with the narrative of Samuel. And um, I would invite you, if you have a Bible, to open to 1 Samuel chapter 3. We probably know the story of the boy Samuel in the temple, God calling to him in the night. We're just going to revisit that. I'm sure many of you are familiar with it. And I am going to start with verse 2. So one night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call you, go back and lie down. Dine, my Belfast accent is trying, it's trying to come through here, I'm trying to rein it in. Now, Nye, Samuel, did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel a third time, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there. So he's not just speaking, he's standing there, calling as at the other time, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And then the Lord goes on to speak to Samuel, which if we get into that, I'll, you'll never get out of this, this seminar today. Um, I really want to talk about all of that, but um, we, have, um, we, we don't have as much time as I wished. But anyway, in... This chapter that we all know, it's so compelling, isn't it? It just pulls you right in. Here's this, this young boy lying, sleeping in the temple, and the Lord calls out to him. Um, but I skipped over the first verse, 
And the first verse is the one that's really got my attention over these past few weeks and months. It says, The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli, and in those days the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. And I thought to myself, I can't really relate to that at all. And the more I thought about it, I realized, actually, it feels like I have the opposite feeling. I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed by all the songs and the messages and the words and the conferences and the this and the that and the other thing. And how on earth do I even begin to hear and discern the voice of the Lord? There's so much coming at me all the time. So it actually felt like it was the opposite of what we see in this passage. So I began to ask myself, and um, I'm asking our team at Vineyard Worship, how do we raise up a generation of Samuels who will discern the voice of the Lord in the noise of our culture and even our church culture? How do we raise up a generation of Samuels who will discern the voice of God in the noise of our current culture? The greatest threat to worship, as I have thought about it further since last year, it is an ongoing process, um, takes me a while to come to these conclusions, but I have decided actually the greatest threat to worship is not production. It's not the lights. It's not all the stuff that I'm talking about. It's actually the neglect of the secret place and listening for God. For It is in that secret place that we learn to find the strength to obey and remain faithful to the Lord. It is in that space that we hear what he is saying to us. And it is in that space that we discover the kind of worship that actually pleases and blesses his heart. So are we nurturing or neglecting that secret place of worship? So here we are right back in our are three stages of that journey. We're talking about the spaces, that space in his presence. I find it tremendously reassuring that even Samuel, this great prophet, uh, he had to get some help. He didn't understand the first two times that that was actually God speaking to him. And I found that actually really reassuring because sometimes I feel like I'm really struggling to hear God. So if you feel that way, you're in good company because Samuel wasn't too sure either. Um, So I find that reassuring. So don't be discouraged. If you are in that place where you are waiting on the Lord and you are um, learning habits, the contemplative habits that we've been talking about, at this conference isn't John Mark Comer just amazing so so good so so challenging Um, if you are stepping into that space don't be discouraged don't lose heart keep going Um, the context of Samuel's ministry was really grim uh, if if I were to do my three-hour version of these couple of chapters, we would go into some of the specific things that were happening at the time. But Eli's sons, the priest who actually helps Samuel uh, and tells him that's God speaking to you, but his sons were up to no good, up to no good at all. Um, it says that they were wicked. It says that their sins were very great. It says that they treated God's offerings with contempt and were sleeping with women at the entrance to the tent of meeting. 
not exactly the ideal context. And when I think of Hannah, his mother, who prayed and asked the Lord for a son, and then the Lord gives her this son, and then she leaves him off, she drops him off into the middle of all of that, I think, how could you do that, Hannah? How did you do that? Maybe she didn't know. I'm guessing she probably knew rightly, but she had promised to the Lord that she was going to give back the son that she asked for. So she plops him down right in the middle of Eli and his wicked sons. Now that is faith and trust. And he turned out to be an amazing prophet of the Lord. As a parent, I find that really um, challenging and also encouraging. So anyway, this is the context that Samuel was brought up in. And um, it was a tricky period in their history at the time. And I think it's a tricky period in our history as well um, when it comes to worship. It can be very confusing as worship leader. And as I've said, so many mixed messages. How do we find our way through this? How do we do it? We listen for God. We learn to know his voice. Um, slight little tangent into some very practical things here. So what does it take to be a worship leader, um, really? What, what, what do we need to be able to do in order to be a worship leader? We need to be able to worship. Yes, that's really helpful. Um, I, think, I think there's actually really only three things that we need to be able to do. Um, and this is not in any way to downplay the value of musical skill. I think musical skill is incredibly helpful um, and uh, can be such a gift and blessing to our worship experience. However, when you really boil it down, I think what you need to be able to do is you need to have that secret place of worship. You need to be able to listen and hear God's voice, that intimacy with him. Secondly, you need to be filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. You can be an amazing musician and not be filled with the Spirit. You can be an incredible musician and be filled with the Spirit, right? We want to be filled with the Spirit. It's not the music bit that matters most. It's the filling of the Holy Spirit because we are called to minister. Eli's sons might have been great preachers. They might have been great musicians, but they weren't obedient to the Lord and they weren't filled with the Spirit. The third thing that we need to be able to do, and this is where the, we're, we're giving a nod in the direction of musicianship, um, you need to be able to sing the melody, basically, at its very core level, right? So if I start singing now, I will give you all my worship, sing along. I will give you all my praise. That's it. We could just keep going. We, we could do this for the next 45 minutes, and that we'd have a great time, wouldn't we? Do you see what I'm saying? That is all we need to be able to do. It helps if you can sing in tune, right? It helps if your voice sounds decent. But, you know, I've seen people stand. My husband is not a great singer. He stood up one day at the end of a service and said, I'm going to lead you in worship, and I nearly passed out. <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard him sing. But you know what? He did it. He just got us started, and then everybody went, and it was wonderful. So at a very core, that's what we need to do. If you're not a singer, here's what you need to do. Josh is going to demonstrate for us. This is it, yeah. You just need to be able to play the changes. You don't need to be super awesome, and you don't even... 
you don't even need to do a whole lot. So the, 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 test, the test balloon here is wholly an anointed one. You ready? Yeah, you can sing with me. I'll sing with you, yeah. Jesus. Sing along. Jesus. Can you see he's doing nothing in between the changes and it still works? That was sneaky. Yes, that's it. Because what matters is what you've already talked about, your definitions of worship. Remember, your, what is your definition? Thank you, Josh. What is your definition of worship? What does it take to be a worship leader? That's what it takes. That's what it takes. It's as simple as that. Anything on top of that is icing on the cake. It's icing on the cake. And in fact, sometimes it's a distraction. And I loved this morning, I only arrived today, so this is the only worship set that I've actually been in on this conference, but I loved the space. I loved hearing the people singing. I loved the participation of that. I loved that Sam kept kind of pulling back and the band would go absolutely bonkers and how amazing is that electric guitarist? Oh my word, they are phenomenal. But then he just pulled it right back again and we could hear each other singing and that's all we really need in order to lead worship. So a couple of reasons why I share that with you. I share it with one, for one key reason, and that is to get the enemy off your back. <laughs> right? So when he comes with his accusations that you can't be a worship leader, that you don't have what it takes, that you're not good enough, you just tell him to get lost. Um, and then I also share it with you because we spend a lot of time worrying about the mechanics of our um, production. And I wonder, I wonder what would happen if we spent a little bit more time listening to the Lord. And both are important, but one of them definitely is the most important, particularly in this season. So the first question was, how do we raise up a generation of Samuels, which I am super excited about. And I loved that there was a Samuel on stage this morning. That was fun. Um, and then how do we cultivate worship spaces where our people learn to listen to God? Whose job is it to help people learn to listen to God? Is it the senior pastor's job? Is it the worship leader's job? Whose job is it? Everybody's job. That's a good answer. <laughs> That's it. I do think that we sometimes, as worship leaders, uh, would really love for our senior pastor to carry all that freight, um, but actually, we are priests and prophets, and like Samuel, it is our job to not only learn how to listen to the Lord for ourselves, but to help our community grow in that. In the vineyard, we talk a lot about intimacy and in worship. People tell me that I talk about it too much and really are hoping that someday I'll find something else to speak about, I think. But um, intimacy is a two-way street, isn't it? So if I sit with Helen here and I do all the talking, it's not really, it's not really a very um, fruitful relationship for Helen, is it? Um, and so I think in our worship, it's got very busy. And I'm not making any comment about anywhere else other than the vineyard because that's not my job. My job is not to critique anything or particularly to comment on anything outside of the vineyard. But my own observation in my own worship leading, in my own church, is that it gets very busy. 
what might happen if we learn to wait on and listen for the Lord. And I have asked myself, why is it so hard? Why do I feel so vulnerable when I just stand and wait? When I don't even sing anything, when I have no idea what's really happening in the room, but I'm just waiting on the Lord, why do I feel so vulnerable? And one of the things I tell myself is, Harmony, this really isn't that hard. There's a lot of things like think about street evangelism or something. This is you're in the church. You are in the church. This is not hard. Um, I, that's a little pep talk I give to myself because I do. I'm like, oh, there's nothing happening. People look so uncomfortable. Why is it that in church, if there's an instrumental, people look uncomfortable? If they go to a gig, they love it. I don't know. <laughs> it's um, baffling to me. Um, they open their eyes. They're looking around. But it's our job to help them to know what to do in that space. And Sam did a bit of that this morning as well. Um, but it's even more pronounced in an environment that's not full of leaders. So in this space, you could do whatever you wanted, really. The place would be fine. But um, in our own context, where we have people that are maybe new to faith and from a different church and don't really understand what's going on, it really helps if we, if we give them some signposts along the way, like, hey, we're waiting on the Lord, or you know, we're a community that waits on the Lord, or in this season, we're just trying to hear God's voice, or why don't you just... You know, think of your own way of saying that, maybe, for your own context. Um, I used to approach worship like riding a wave, like looking for the God moment, you know, to happen in a set. Um, But worship is not about experience or escapism. I've definitely used worship as a means of escape too many times in my life. Worship is not about giving people a really cool ride on a really exciting wave. We're not here to help people get their fix. Worship is about connection. And connection isn't always easy, is it? It takes time to build relationship. It's about relationship and intimacy. And then the person that we are relating to is a holy God. He is a consuming fire, and that must inform how we approach our worship. What is the worship that God is seeking? When I think about it in that context, I want to fall on my face. And I wonder, have we lost a bit of that awe and reverence for a holy God? Who are we actually relating to here? So just a a brief comment about how to actually do this. I would say Sunday mornings in general are are trying to bear too much freight for absolutely every ministry area in the church. Everyone wants everything to happen on Sundays. So what if you look for other spaces to help invite your community into more? It can be so helpful to do other things. And then what you'll probably find is, whether it's another worship environment or small groups or even a class on on, on what worship is or, you know, something about contemplative worship practices. Um, Helen's going to do a great seminar at the retreat on contemplative worship practices. We're going to do some stuff as we've always done at intensives because that's kind of just who we are. That's our, our lane with these um, intensives. Um, but what you'll probably find and what we found in our church is that these other environments then start to heat up 
the other, the, the Sunday morning gathering, right? So if you're a bit disheartened that people don't know how to worship, don't know how to wait on God, by all means, keep taking steps in those larger gatherings, but invest in other places. Turn up the heat somewhere else, and it will start to heat up the rest of the church. Um, I also think that sometimes as worship leaders, we need to get out of the worship space. We need to get out into the streets or into our compassion ministry and, and discover a bit more about who this God is and what he's actually doing in the world. Um, and that will light a fire in us um, and will probably cause us to want to listen to God a bit more. Um, you need to sometimes get into those places of real risk. God is talking to me about something right now. And I, <laughs> I'm i like, oh, Jesus, really? And part of me, I'm going to take the first step. I know what I need to do. I'm going to go home. There's a thing that I need to do. And part of me is hoping that it doesn't work. Because if it works, then I have a whole lot more things to be really scared about. But you know, at that place of... I'm actually, I don't really know what to do. I'm, I'm, I'm really at this place of risk. We can lose some of that if we're just behind our instruments all the time. And we have no reason to wait on God. Right? He doesn't need to help us play three chords. <laughs> he needs to help us do the kingdom stuff. Um, right. So, I wrestled with what to do with this seminar because... Um, there probably are more robust 201 worship liturgy teachings, but I am so drawn personally to this concept of listening to God and discovering the worship that he is seeking. And I have been trying to listen to God. And my sense is that if we, as a movement, step in to this and wait on the Lord and listen for him, in, a, in, in an intentional way in this next season, he is going to speak. He is going to show up because he always does. And so many of us are hungry for more, but are we listening? Are we carving out that space to really hear what it is that he wants to do and say to us? So what I want to do in this seminar, rather than continuing on talking, um, is that we actually take some time and do this together. And we exercise those muscles a little bit. We've done that already at this conference. But in this space, it's a bit more vulnerable. And we are stripping it right back to the basics. One voice, one guitar. That's what we're going to do at our retreats, guys. We are taking all of the extra stuff, stripping it just right down to the basics, not because we don't like those things. We love those things. If we could have, you know, 20 times the instruments that we actually need, we would be ecstatic. But our sense is that we are supposed to be waiting on the Lord. Um, and we're not saying that we haven't heard him yet. We just have a hunger for more, if you know what I'm saying. And we have a hunger... Um, to actually see this in our worship times together. Um, so Josh, you can go ahead and get yourself organized here. In a moment, what we're going to do is we're actually going to shift the chairs. We're making such a mess, and then we have to put it back again. But what I would love for us to do actually is to, to form a circle around the room where we can actually see each other. Because I think the other thing about worship and hearing God is that we are going to hear and see God in each other. 
And when we stand in a row with our eyes closed all the time, we can, we can miss some powerful things that God is doing. So, we'll, yeah, go ahead. Start moving the chairs.